Hello and welcome back to Political Debrief. I'm your host, Josh Oliverio. Today, I am excited to share my conversation with MP Valerie Bradford. She represents the riding of Kitchener South Hespler, and we had a great conversation that includes some topics about why she became an MP, her path to election, some of her ideas for making the House of Commons a little bit less polarized, and as well, we chatted about her family connection to politics uh, as her son Brad is a Toronto City Councillor. Hope you enjoy our conversation. So I'm Valerie Bradford and I'm the Member of Parliament for, for Kitchener South Hespler. It's a fairly new riding. It's only had three elections so far. It's gone Liberal each, each of those three times. So it stretches from the easternmost part of Cambridge all the way over to Fisher-Hallman in uh, Kitchener. So kind of the west side of Kitchener. And it's to the south, the southern part of uh, Kitchener and north of the 401. So it's very, very large riding geographically. It's a suburban riding. Uh, it is the home of uh, Toyota that has a Lexus plant, which I find fascinating um, because I used to do economic development for the city of Kitchener and I focused on the manufacturing sector. So uh, it's really quite an honor to be able to represent that part of the riding. Uh, so I was a, a single mother of three children that are now adults. I raised them as a single mother from the ages of three, six, and seven. So I think that really helps me understand the, the struggles that families face. And uh, because I've been there and I've done that and I know what it feels like to wonder if you're going to have enough money in your wallet to pay for the groceries on the belt. And um, so I can relate to that. Would you say that you were interested in current events and politics from a, a young age? Yes, always, I would say, or basically I'd say as a maybe teenager, young adult. Um, I mean, I was always aware that my parents were voting. I think my mother actually went to a, a provincial leadership campaign once. Um, we ha I was raised in Dunville and Jim Allen was the, the treasurer of the province of Ontario. So that was a big deal. And I guess that was my first uh, awareness of politics. But certainly, you know, I was never really able to get actively involved in politics as a, a single mother being responsible solely for raising three kids. You just don't have time to devote time and energy to that. So it wasn't really until I moved up to the Waterloo region that I was able to um, get involved with an electoral riding association I uh, got on the board of that as a policy chair. I've always believed that it's policies that set one political party apart from another and their kind of outlook and approach on that. And I'm a very much a middle of the road sort of person. So the Liberal Party ended up being my natural political home. So what made you decide to run for office back in 2021? Well, actually, my uh, formal working career was coming to an end. Um, I had always made up my mind that my retirement date would be December 2020, and that was even before COVID happened. I'd had a number of careers over the years, but I was always interested in politics, particularly at the, the federal level. I mean, certainly working for a municipality, it was the municipal level that I was the most actively involved in. But, you know, I'd watch the TV shows like Power and Politics, and I used to think, my goodness, how exciting that must be to be involved in things, matters that affect the whole country. And I do have to say, I think um, Canada is probably one of the most challenging countries in the world to govern federally because we have such regional disparity 
and um, different focuses and different economies. And um, so to come up with policies that seem fair and equitable for every part of the country is a real challenge. And um, we have what I think is kind of a weak federal system in that so much of the power or for things that uh, really impact people's lives on a daily basis, like healthcare and education, rests with the provinces. So consequently, it's really, really hard to come up with uniform standards all across the country for like curriculums and education or standards for long-term care homes. We should have the same level of care all across the country, regardless of whether you live in Nova Scotia or up in the Yukon, but, but it's very difficult when we're not responsible for delivering that care. Tell me more about the campaign, because this would have been your first campaign for office. What, what type of lessons did you learn? What was that campaign like? Well, it was very exciting. So basically, the nomination process opened in the fall of 2020. <clears throat> and um, I was still working at that time. So, you know, you had to reach out to people and try and get them to support your nomination. The nomination is the most difficult part, I would say, if you're seeking to run for office. And so um, that was a long drawn out process, which I think is very hard for candidates, for people looking to run for office because they're doing other things. They could be parents, they've got work involvement, and yet you have to de devote a lot of your spare time to this process. In my case, the meeting, meeting wasn't even called until June. So it was like eight months or so. And so then when that when I won the nomination, then the, um, the writ dropped August the 15th and the election then was in September. So the election is only about 30 days. So it's fast and furious, but you're doing a lot of the preparation before and hopefully you're getting your volunteers lined up. My son was a tremendous help. <clears throat> We're a really unique story because um, as Steve Pakin has pointed out, we're not a political dynasty. There are many families that, you know, all along the line, there's been several me members of the family that are involved in politics at one level or the other, but usually it's the offspring follow the parents. In my case, Brad was elected first to the city of Toronto council. And so then when uh, I ended up winning the nomination, and, and he certainly helped with that too, because there's no party support at that point. You're completely on your own. And then, um, you know, he brought a lot of resources and help and um, expertise in how to run a campaign as well for us. But I had wonderful volunteers and the Riding Association was behind me as well. So uh, excellent campaign manager. And we just really... It's just hard work. The The secret is meeting as many people as you can, hopefully personally, because that's how you make the best connection. And I made sure that I participated in all the debates. I think that's important so people can get a sense of you and what your ideas are, what your party stands for. And uh, so I would say it's uh, long days and nights, but it's exciting, it's fun. And if you enjoy meeting people, it it's a good time. And in your case, the election was very close. I think it came within about two and a half percent, the final vote. So I'm curious then, does does that very close result, does that impact at all how you are as an MP, realizing that, you know, a lot of people didn't vote for the Liberal platform? Does that change the way that you represent them? 
Well, you see, that's close, but some people actually only won by like 12 votes or 75 votes or whatever. So I consider for a first time, I wasn't an incumbent. I didn't think that was that bad. Actually, I was happy with it. Um, so when you're elected, you represent everyone, like you're their spokesperson. And um, so, yes, in any election, not everybody votes for you, and you, but you represent them and your staff works very hard to uh, help them with whatever uh, assistance they need with federal programs. And I have an excellent constituency staff that really take care of people in the riding. So I, I'm proud of the level of service that we're able to provide. And so hopefully they'll think I'm doing a good job. And, you know, whenever the time comes, obviously I'd like to get reelected, but, you know, that's the report card that comes out. People will decide. Definitely. So let's jump back to September 21st of 2021. Uh, no, September 20th of 2021, uh, which is when you were elected. So then a couple months pass and you you sit in the House of Commons for the first time at the end of November. What was that like? Okay, so just because people might be interested in what you're doing in this big, long lag time. And you know, when you get elected, you are kind of impatient to get down there. But there's a lot of things to do. So you've got to set up your office, constituency office. Um, our office hadn't been open to the public because of COVID. And um, I didn't really like the location of it. It predated even um, the previous candidate and the previous riding. So it wasn't even central. It was a long way from Hassler, for example. So I knew that we were going to need to move our office. So it took us about a year to find a new office. It was very difficult to meet the requirements, affordability, accessibility, central location, parking. Uh, so we were in storage and still providing service remotely. Also, you have to gear up. You have to have staff in Ottawa as well. There's an onboarding process where they bring you down to the hill and they train you up and they explain the technology. There's an awful lot to learn. It's pretty overwhelming. So yes, the first, so there's a, a swearing in ceremony. And again, because it was still COVID, some people did it virtually, but I wasn't going to do it that way. So we were limited to only 20 people, 20 guests. So I brought in my immediate family and uh, my staff that was going to be supporting me and uh, some good friends, board members. And uh, we came down here and it was very exciting. So the first day you walk in, I mean, it's a very, very special place. And you're very aware that of the 40 million people in, in Canada, only 338 get to sit in the House of Commons at any one time. So, uh, and you just pinch yourself to think, my gosh, I'm really here. And um, I have a great seat in the house. Yes, I'm a backbencher. They call you that because you're sitting in the back bench, but it's alphabetical. And because I'm a bee, I'm pretty darn close to the speaker. And I have an excellent view of the speaker. If I was a Z, I would be at the far end of the house. So uh, it's good to be a B. I'm lucky they sit you according to your last name, not your first name. Because, <laughs> But it's um, so you have these very iconic desks and the carpet is a, a very unique, special green that is loomed in England. It's the same as what's in the House of Parliament in Westminster. So uh, because if you ever watched on TV, you see that very unique green. So the velvet seats and the carpet are all that. And um, there's a lot of protocol. And uh, I would encourage everyone to come and try and uh, watch a session in the House of Commons. 
you can come and watch question period and I'll, I'll apologize in advance for the behavior that you see in question period because it's pretty disrespectful at times, but under parliamentary privilege, you're allowed to uh, behave worse than would be tolerated outside the house. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I'm going to jump on that for a minute if that's okay. Um, and I'll provide some context. Parliamentary privilege, basically whatever an MP or senator says in a house of parliament can't be used against them in a court of law, meaning that they can say some things that may not be, that are not subject to libel laws. Just quick context there. Um, but you do mention going to see question period. I did do that back in March. I'm not going to lie. It was a very frustrating experience. And I don't know if you were in the chamber today for question period, yes, but it it was a very, one of the worst ones I've seen in this parliament. You said in a year-end interview uh, with CBC that uh, I wish MPs would put the benefit of Canadians first all the time and work together. That's what you said back last summer. How do you think we're doing about, how do you think we're doing? I still think that's an aspirational goal. And I do truly believe when everyone runs for office, that's their intent. And then they get there. I mean, this time of year is called silly season. And I mean, it's anything but silly. I don't know why they use that adjective. It's it's actually frustrating season. I think everybody's level of frustration is up. So as a government, we're trying to accomplish as much as we can and pass as much good legislation through the House as we can. Because seriously, we are all elected to accomplish something and get things done. Now, the opposition's role seems to be to prevent the government from accomplishing things and to thwart their ambition, because then, of course, when an election comes up, they can say, well, what did the government do? They didn't accomplish anything, whereas we want to run on our record, so we want to have a good record. So, you know, that's where the headbutting happens. And I think it's unfortunate where uh, sometimes it really gets rather personal in the attacks. And I, I don't think that's very helpful or conducive to good government when, when that sort of discourse happens. Uh, you did mention your son, Brad, who is currently running for uh, mayor of Toronto. I think he was one of the first candidates to step forward. I'm curious what it's like having um, your son, right now at least, in a very high-profile uh, election. How does that impact your, your work in Ottawa? It doesn't, it doesn't directly impact my work in Ottawa at all. It's two separate things. Like, that's part of my personal life. So I'm still focusing on my work as a parliamentarian and as MP. I'm still doing all the legislative work uh, Monday to Friday here in Ottawa. I still come home and take care of whatever I need to take care of in the riding on the the abbreviated weekend. Basically, I, I usually only have uh, Friday to Sunday in the riding. But over the last couple of months during the mayoralty race, I have been spending time in Toronto on the weekends as much as I can to help them out and knock on doors. Um, there's 102 people. Well, one is actually a four-legged dog that's running in Toronto. He has a human spokesperson. But in any case, uh, it's 102 candidates, which truly is a bit ridiculous. Um, Brad is considered in, you know, the top tier. And so um, he, 
I'm very proud that he has run a very honest and high energy campaign. And regardless of whatever happens on Monday, I think he can be very proud of what he did. It certainly has raised his profile across the city, although arguably he's been a very active Toronto councillor during his first term in office in any case. He's been involved in a lot of things that were citywide, not just in Beaches East York. Um, but again, it's been a great experience for him. He's got to meet a lot of people. Like in a campaign, you get to really know your community because you, you listen to what they're concerned about. I mean, hopefully you do because you can't address their concerns if you don't understand what they are. So it's been a great experience. I'm always really happy to knock doors with him. As I say, I've known him longer than anyone else and nobody will outwork him. Those are two things I can say with all certainty. He's very high energy and individual, which I think given the, the uh, gravity of the problems and issues facing Toronto right now, it's gonna take somebody with a lot of energy to roll up their sleeves and tackle that. And added to which, just uh, made me a grandma again in the middle of it all. So two weeks ago yesterday, they added a new addition to their family, another baby daughter, and she's adorable. And uh, so that was a high point too. Well then congratulations to you and your family. It sounds like a very exciting time uh, in the Bradford family. Just a quick note, the Toronto mayoral election was a couple weeks ago and uh, MP Bradford's son, Brad, was defeated in his run to be Toronto mayor, he got just under 2% of the vote. Going back to our conversation before about, you know, the house and how busy it gets in June. Um, you mentioned how the government uh, wants to get as much legislation through as possible. And one of the tools that you guys have been using uh, more frequently over this parliament has been closure and time allocation. It's um, definitely a controversial tool. Um, in the house uh the opposition is calling it extremely undemocratic you know a bill's reported back to the house and within an hour of debate the government gives notice to use time allocation how do you think there can be better balance between using time allocation and allowing um for an appropriate amount of debate well the reality is if there wasn't time allocation the opposition would just debate it forever and nothing would ever get accomplished. Like this is what Brad has been talking about at City Hall, endless debate and deferral and delay. And you can't have that because that, pre that prevents legislation from passing. And I would point out that the previous government under Stephen Harper used time allocation a lot too. All governments do, because as I explained before, the government's trying to get legislation passed, the opposition is trying to prevent that. So. We do have time allocation, but what that means is we give them many, many, many hours to debate. We sit to mid midnight every night. So they have lots of opportunity to debate. But there comes to a point in any debate that pretty much every argument has been presented, probably more than once. And then it's time to call a vote. This happens in committee too. Eventually, you have to bring things to a conclusion, to a vote. And like I say, without time allocation, it wouldn't happen. And we wouldn't be able to move the country forward. We wouldn't be able to pass helpful legislation like childcare and improved disability uh, payments for, for those that have disabilities. And 
you know, all the things that Canadians need to help make their lives better. That's really what we're there for. And, and we have to pass the budget so that we can, you know, um, implement all the programs that are outlined in the budget. The government's elected to, to govern during their term. And so they need to be able to do that. You sit on the Standing Committee on Science and Research. Um, do you want to give us just a quick update on what the committee is working on right now? So right at the moment, we just started a couple of new studies. Uh, the opposition, the Conservatives wanted uh, a study on, um, basically they're wanting to look at the role of, what we call it Chinese, the, the focus has, a lot has been on Huawei uh, and the research partnerships with various universities uh, that has been going on for a number of years. And um, also the Liberals, I brought forward a study that was actually in the queue before that for pay equity among uh, gender and diverse communities in post-secondary education institutions. You would think that post-secondary institutions would be progressive and that would be natural that there would be pay equity, but there is not. There's um, a lot of um, discrepancy between what males make versus female or people of color make versus uh, you know, white people. And so these are problems and we need to understand why that is and how we can address it and make it more fair and equitable. If you had to go back and give your young, like let's say 14 or 15 year old self, one piece of advice, what would that be? I think uh, work hard and learn as much as you can about as many possible things. One of the things that I think has really helped me be a better politician at this stage of my life than I would have been earlier is my lived experience, which is quite extensive. I was involved in a number of different careers and economic development as, as a background is excellent for representing your community because you really understand the strengths and opportunities and weaknesses in your local economy. And you have a lot of connections with business. Uh, so you bring that understanding to your role. Um, I used to, when I was working in economic development, be involved with a business education partnership. And I would go out and speak to school groups. I actually still do. Although now I talk about just the question you asked, getting involved in politics and making sure you vote, etc. Previously, I would be talking to them about career choices. And of course, because I'd been involved in banking and the law office and uh, airline and just all kinds of careers, you know, I would always say to them, don't be afraid to take a chance and try something because from every job, you're going to learn something. Even if it's only, I never want to do that again. That's the worst job ever. That's good learning. And so, you know, you'll come to a fork in the road, you pick A or B, just pick one and then you'll do that for a while. And then you pick something else like, Gone are the days when you're going to work 40 years for the same company and retire. That's not the way it is today. So there are a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of challenges. But just just seize them all and learn what you can. And um, I think it'll work out well for you in the end. All right, MP Valerie Bradford, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on Political Debrief. Thank you, Josh. It was a pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Political Debrief. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I would invite you to subscribe down below so you get an update 
when we post a new episode. As well, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh Oliverio. Have a new episode coming out in a few weeks' time, so stay tuned. Thanks again for listening.